Welcome to Stories for Colored Girls. This podcast is to empower black women by recognizing their equal value and worth as human beings and as participants in this world in every category, acknowledging the trauma, oppression, and marginalization they experience daily, whether they are aware of it or not, to acknowledge the crooked room and practice standing straight and fight a bit. Today I'll be talking about the woman famous for writing and publishing books like The Bluest Eye, Beloved, and over a dozen other well-known books. Yes, she even won a Nobel Prize for Literature, and I'm talking about Miss Toni Morrison. And for some reason, I have no idea why, I regularly confuse her with Alice Walker, who's actually the author of The Color Purple. I think it's because sometimes when I read a book one after the other, or I'm reading more than one book at the same time, I'll jumble the characters. I'll jumble them together in my head. Or if they've been made into a movie and I watch the movies too close, I'll jumble that together too. <laughs> but I did make sure this episode that I'm actually talking about Toni Morrison and not Alice Walker, who may very well appear on a later episode. And I realized, well, maybe not, but I think the way I said that made it seem like I would have her here with me. We would be having some kind of a conversation or dialogue. That's never going to happen because I don't have celebrity status like that. And so nobody will ever be appearing on here except for me. I have no connections whatsoever. But you can listen to me just talk about her life, provide timeless commentary, and share what I find so empowering about her. Back to Miss Morrison. So most of the information I share will be coming out of books, articles, like usual, documentaries, and interviews about her, which I will cite before reading. I'm going to start with goodreads.com, and sorry, but even before I even properly start, I'm already going to go into sidebar mode to do a plug for goodreads.com. I really, really love this website, and I don't think enough people know about it or are in on it. They have book reviews. You can read book reviews, and you can leave your own book reviews. You can make a to-read book list that can be as long or as short as you want. Also, you can mark, tick mark on there all the books that you have read. And if you like to have lists and look at things that you've accomplished in big number and you get all excited about that, Goodreads is a place for you. I love to look back and see all the books that I've read. It makes me feel super special in a good way. They also have reading challenges, which is like when you set New Year's resolutions, except for this one would be for how many books you read and it keeps track of how many books you've read and how many books ahead of schedule you are how many books behind it behind of schedule you are so you can actually meet that challenge at the end of the year you can make book recommendations to friends you can have discussions with strangers sometimes even the authors some of the authors are members of goodreads and they get interviewed on there and if you're lucky you can get a question of yours answered live some of the authors participate in discussions. You can follow them, just like Twitter and Facebook, if they're members, and you can see what they're reading. So if you want to follow with what they're reading and their reviews currently in real time, you can do that, and you can read what they're reading. I follow a few authors on there, like Roxane Gay, Dr. Roxane Gay. She's one of my favorites. I haven't read a lot of her books. I've only read three so far. I'm completely in love with them, especially Hunger. I'm going to talk about her in a future episode. Back to Toni Morrison, who was actually born Chloe Anthony Lawford. She's an American author, editor, and professor who won the 1993 Nobel Prize in Literature for being an author who, this is a direct quote, in novels characterized by visionary force and poetic import, 
gives life to an essential aspect of American reality. Her novels are known for their epic themes, vivid dialogue, and richly detailed black characters. Among the best known are her novels, a couple of these I mentioned before, The Bluest Eye, Song of Solomon, and Beloved. Beloved won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in 1988. In 2001, she was named one of the 30 most powerful women in the United States by Ladies Home Journal. Not to, not to crack on Ladies Home Journal, but I did. I thought that was so funny when I first saw it. Because normally when I look at 30 most powerful lists, it's like Forbes, Time, Newsweek, I don't know. Certainly not Ladies Home Journal. I typically see that magazine in the waiting room of doctor's offices, and I think, therefore, I don't know, certainly not women like me. I kind of think, oh, these women have kids, and they're in their mid-lives or on, and they, I don't know, they sew and all sorts of things that I'm not interested in doing. So I just think it's so funny. 30 Most Powerful Women in the United States by Ladies Home Journal. Even though I'm sitting here making fun of it, <laughs> it's a list I will never be on. But that's okay. Ladies Home Journal can keep their home journal. Now on Biography.com. She was born on February 18, 1931 in Lorraine, Ohio, the second of four children in a black working class family. This is from NotableBiographies.com. Her maternal grandparents were named Ardelia and John Solomon. They left Greenville, Alabama around 1910 after they lost their farm because of debts they couldn't repay. Her paternal grandparents were also part of the Great Migration from the southern United States to the north, midwest, and western states. They left Georgia and moved north to escape Jim Crow, or you can call it Jane, Jane Crow, violence against blacks in the south, and sharecropping. Both families settled in the steel mill town of Lorraine, Ohio, on Lake Erie. Morrison grew up during the Great Depression in the 1930s, which was a time of severe economic hardship, which I think is obvious, even if you don't know much about history. I mean, it's called the Great Depression. We know it's not an exciting and happy time. Her parents supported the family financially together. Rama, her mother, by working as a domestic servant, and George, her father, by working three jobs. This is something that doesn't super surprise me, but I did think it was cool to see how, on her mom's side and on her dad's side, both of her family members starting out living somewhere in the south, and then they moved up north. They were part of that Great Migration, and my grandfather was actually a part of the Great Migration, which is something that I didn't know until maybe a few years ago. I think he was in Tennessee, like Nashville, Tennessee, I want to say, and then he moved up to the Newark, New Jersey area, which I'm not a super huge fan of Nashville. I'm not a huge fan of Newark either, but I... I think I'm, I think I, if I got my choice, I'm glad that my dad was raised in Nashville and not Newark, because I could be recording from Newark right now, and I could have that not cute accent <laughs> I don't, I think it's funny to listen to, but I definitely don't want coming out of my body. I like it when other people have it, but I really, really do not want a Newark, New Jersey accent. As a matter of fact, as politically incorrect and just mean as this is, I like to refer to not just Newark, but the entire state of New Jersey as the garbage bin <laughs> of the United States. I haven't been to all 50 states. I've been to a lot of them. Maybe one day I'll go to another state and I'll be like, no, actually, this is the true garbage bin right here. Not New Jersey. I was too hard on them. We'll see what happens. 
back to Toni Morrison. She later credited her parents with instilling in her a love of reading, music, and folklore, along with the clarity and perspective. Living in an integrated neighborhood, racially integrated neighborhood, Toni did not become fully aware of racial divisions until she was in her teens. This is a direct quote from Toni Morrison. When I was in the first grade, nobody thought I was inferior. I was the only one who was black in the class and also the only child who could read. And that's something she told a reporter from the New York Times. New York Times? Wow, did I really just say that? I definitely know it's the New York Times. I just want everybody to know that I know the proper name. <laughs> Magazine. Slip of the tongue. Which is funny. I just got finished making fun of people in New Jersey and how they talk. And I've just now proved that I don't know how to talk or read. Back to Tony Morrison. She was very dedicated to her studies growing up. She took Latin in school, and she also read many great works of European literature. Her childhood was filled with Black American folklore, music, rituals, and myths. Her family was, as Morrison says, intimate with the supernatural, and frequently used visions and signs to predict the future. I could totally see my parents running them up with that one right there. Storytelling was an important part of life in the Wofford family. Wofford family? And both the children and the adults would share stories with one another. That sounds fun. Morrison sees her writing functioning much like storytelling did in the past. It reminds people about their heritage and shows them their place in the community. She said that she uses her childhood memories to help her start writing. Her real-life world, therefore, is often included in her novels. It reminds me of this book, The People Who Could Fly, written by a woman named Virginia something. And I used to read this book with my sister when we were younger. It has a lot of black American folk tales. I think it also, it may also have folk tales from other places where black people were enslaved in the Americas. Like I want to say Brazil and some Caribbean islands. They have a lot of commonalities in there. And we would also read this hilarious book called The Black 30. <laughs> it was supposed to be ghost stories. And I think it's so cool that she sat around with her family and they were telling these stories. I don't, mm, I don't know about sitting around telling ghost stories. Actually, no. That's really cool. I would definitely do that. I think it's really fun to scare little kids. And they're so easy to scare. So that would have been pretty fun. Once Morrison learned how to read, it became one of the things in her life that she loved spending time doing. When she was in high school, she began to read the works of great authors such as Jane Austen, Leo Tolstoy, and the 19th century French writer Gustave Flaubert. Morrison was impressed by the specific way these writers portrayed the things that they were familiar with. Their talents motivated her to write in such a way about the things she was most familiar with, particularly her culture. Additionally, her upbringing has contributed to her character voice, themes in her novel, and how she views white people. Her father was the main contributor towards her outlook on whites. Morrison has described her father's racist attitude. I'm going to stop right there because her father was a black man. So there's not much power behind any of his bias and prejudices or discrimination. So he can discriminate, but he can't practice racism at all. So this was his attitude towards whites and events in her childhood. When she was two years old, the white landlord her parents paid rent to set their house on fire while they were in it. People set our house on fire to evict us, said Morrison. Her father became even more upset with whites after the incident. This is what she's saying. He simply felt that he was better and superior to all white people, explained <laughs> Morrison. When she asked if she felt the same way as her father, she said, no, 
I don't quite feel the same way he did. With very few exceptions, I feel the white people will betray me. And in the final analysis, they'll give me up. <laughs> I love that she's from a generation that she can give an interview and she can say that and she cannot give a rest behind <laughs> what anybody thinks. Because she's like, you know what, that's real, that's what I think. Anybody can get upset with me in the media, I don't care. I'm going to say what I want, politically incorrect or not. This is from a Nobel Prize speech about her. I think they said it as an introduction before she got the award. By a man who is probably French and has a name that I'm not even going to, I'm not going to try to do. When she was very young, her family's landlord set fire to the house in which they lived when her parents fell behind with the rent and while they were in it. Her family reacted to this absurd form of crudeness, monumental crudeness, not with resignation, but with laughter. This, says Toni Morrison, is how you can distance yourself from the act and take your life back. You take your integrity back. When I first read that they started laughing, I was like, uh, <laughs> that definitely would not have been my reaction. <laughs> and for some reason, I think that if I could just be a fly well I was about to say a fly on the wall no I couldn't be a fly on the wall because I'd be burnt up to a crisp right if I could be a fly flying in the air <laughs> I could see them and they were all laughing I think I would start laughing too because it's just it's such a ridiculous juxtaposition your family home all of your most important and prized belongings probably spent a long time working and saving to earn are being burned up all because this white person's very upset that she fell behind in your rent and that's the way they chose to evict you. No, they couldn't do it with basic dignity and decency and acknowledging the fact that you're a human being. Oh, no. They just came by one day, <laughs> set fire to a corner of your house. It was like, oh, I guess they'll leave or not, which I'm just like, well, I mean, I know they did things like that. I know they could get away with doing things like that. So why not? Right. But that's just a complete and total mess. I did not see that. I did not see that coming when I started reading the story at all. In 1949, Morrison went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. to study English. She changed her name to Tony because people at Howard had trouble pronouncing the name Chloe. <laughs> I also read on another website that that's not the reason why she changed her name. This one, I put this one on here because I thought it was the funniest. <laughs> because sometimes I like to crack on HBCUs. And I think I'm allowed to crack on HBCUs because I went to one. But never fear. I did not graduate from one. <laughs> I transferred. But even so, a small place in my heart, I still like to crack jokes about HBCUs. While at Howard, she was a member of the Howard University Players, which was a theater company that presented plays about the lives of black American people. That sounds a lot like the Jubilee Theater in Fort Worth. Morrison received her Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Howard in 1953, then her Master's degree also in English from Cornell University in New York. In 1955, she taught for two years at Texas Southern University in Houston. That might be an HBCU. Then she returned to Howard to teach. While she was there, she met a man named Harold Morrison. We can all imagine where this is going because his last name is Morrison. A young architect from Jamaica who also taught there. They married in 1958, and they had two sons, Harold and Slade, or Slade. I don't know. I've never heard it said. And then they divorced a few years later, four, five, six, six years later. Then she went to Syracuse, New York, and she started working as an editor for Random House. 
1968, she moved to New York City, where she continued working as an editor for Random House. She eventually became a senior editor and was the only black woman to do so. She helped, I think this is the most interesting part of her being a Random House editor. She helped publish books by black writers, including, so these names, I'm going to butcher all of them because I've never heard of them before, including Tony K. Bambara, Gail Jones, and June Jordan. I can say June Jordan. She also taught part-time, lectured across the country, and wrote many novels. I think that part was the most interesting because she opened doors for those black people that quite possibly would have remained closed until another black editor came, or a black editor came who was willing to open doors for them, or a white editor who saw their responsibility. Hey, more black writers, more black voices need to be put out there. I'm in a position where I can do that. I like to see that when people use their power for good. Throughout her novels, she does not include whites as main characters. Often she's criticized for this, and she explains her choice of characters by saying, I look very hard for black fiction because I want to participate in developing a canon of black work. We've had the first rush of black entertainment where blacks were writing for whites, and whites oh, excuse me, were encouraging this kind of self-flagellation. Now we can get down to the craft of writing, where black people are talking to black people. Furthermore, she stated, the black narrative has always been understood to be a confrontation with some white people. What is interesting to me is what's going on within the community. And within the community, there are no major white players. Once I thought, what is life like if they weren't there? Which is the way I, we lived it. The way I lived it. And he was kind of funny. What if there were no white people there? Let's write a book about that. I really could not imagine that. Not growing up at the time I grew up in, in the place I grew up in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Yeah, you can't imagine your life without white people. That's not going to happen. Hermione Holby of The Guardian says the following. Of all the mantles that have been foisted on Toni Morrison's shoulders, the heaviest has to be the conscience of America. For almost half a century, her subject has been racial prejudice in the United States, a story that she has told and retold with the steadiness of rage and compassion. She's always talked about her first novel with disarming simplicity. That's the Lewis Eye. It was the book she wanted to read, and it didn't exist. So as a single working mother of two sons, she rose at 4 a.m., that's dedication right there, and wrote it, published in 1970, the Bluest Eye is the story of Pacola Breedlove, a young black girl who prays for blue eyes. Morrison wrote in a 2007 foreword that she wanted to focus, direct quote, on how something as grotesque as the demonization of an entire race could take root inside the most delicate member of a society, a child, the most vulnerable member, a female. I'm writing for black people, <laughs> she says, in the same way that Tolstoy was not writing for me, a 14-year-old colored girl from Lorain, Ohio. I don't have to apologize or consider myself limited because I don't write for white people or about white people, which is not absolutely true. There are lots of white people in my books. The point is not having the white critic sit on your shoulder and approve it. And this is she's saying she's referring to James Baldwin. And he said, there's a little white man deep inside of all of us critiquing his writing. And then back to Toni Morrison, she says, I never really had it. I just never did. I think it's interesting that she would say that. I have actually never heard that James Baldwin quote. I mean, which means nothing. I've never heard a lot of quotes. But I think 
as a black man, maybe that would make sense that he would have a little white man deep inside of him. His greatest critic, I guess, other than himself, would be a white man. I think the black women, I have had a very different experience than a lot of black men. So just because something applies to them does not mean that it would apply to me in any way. I have different critics than they do. When Morrison was interviewed by her friend Hilton Alls, the writer and critic, she told him that now she's in her 80s. This is modern day. Now she's in her 80s. There are three things that she gets to say. One is no. The other is shut up. And the third is get out. In other words, she has earned her right not to do what she doesn't want to do. <laughs> so basically what this is saying is she's achieved old black woman status. She can tell everybody about themselves. She can be as mean as she wants to. And no one will say anything out of her to her out of fear and out of respect. I have not reached old black woman status. However, I think it's a sign that we're getting more progressive because I'm already saying no, shut up and get out. And I'm in my 30s. So there you go. And in case you were wondering, I know I didn't cover the entire life of Miss Toni Morrison, but I did cover the bulk of it. And more to the point of this podcast, her power, her source, and her medium. She found one of her greatest gifts as a child, and instead of giving it up, like a lot of people do, she cultivated it, and she followed through with it instead of questioning, losing, and wasting it. Then she opened doors and created paths for other black people, other black female writers, and she shares her passion with the world unapologetically. And how many people can say that? Moreover, how many black women can say that? I think there are so many obstacles to realizing your life's purpose in general. Then even more for black women. Because you've got patriarchy and racial oppression in our classrooms, homes, relationships, workplaces. The unique oppression in massage noir is that it's greater than patriarchy and racism alone and together. Massage noir is way bigger than that. However, I do think that at least black women in the United States have windows and doors open for us that black women in other places don't have. Not yet, anyway. And those openings make it more possible for us to actually turn our dreams into reality. And Toni Morrison definitely had doors open for her. Everyone who's anyone has had doors open for them. So don't be fooled by that bootstrap shit. Everyone has help getting where they are. Being lifted higher, being held down, whatever. No one gets to where they are by themselves. It just doesn't work that way. So I repeat, Toni Morrison definitely had doors open for her. And when they were open, I think more to the point, when they were open, she was ready to walk through them. She'd done the personal work required to take advantage of those opportunities when they presented themselves. And then she opened them for other women, black women in publishing. And I'd argue that she opened them for every black woman in general who has access to her life story and written stories. Her story shows me what can happen to my life and how I can impact the lives of others when I don't listen to people who live their lives according to the played out racist, sexist, status quo that's upheld by many, but benefits the few. Well, that is it for episode four. And until next time, remember to stand up straight.